0: glad that you're here today. It's just a joy that we get to kick off this new emphasis, our 40 days in the Word, and uh, it's going to be really fun. I just want to give you some ideas about what it'd be the components so that you can realize where we're going. One is, for the next six Sunday mornings, we'll be talking about the Bible in a specific way to help us to come to a deeper understanding of it. So all six messages are kind of key and essential, so I'm going to ask if you'd commit to being here the next six weeks with us uh, with all things you know would be possible for you to do that and then we're going to be going into our community groups and in our community groups we're going to um, take the message from Sunday further uh, we'll be watching some DVD teachings by Pastor Rick Warren and we'll be looking in our booklet that everyone's going to get and inside that booklet you're gonna find some uh, tools that will help you but also daily devotionals that's another component uh, of our time together is the daily devotionals, and every day we'll have a devotional, every day we'll have a verse, and you're going to get to chew on that and meditate on it, and then journal about that as well. But also, we have another piece, and that's the daily devotionals. let start tomorrow. Uh, for us, we're saying that day one is tomorrow. For you and your community groups, day one will be the day after you meet. So it really doesn't matter. You just kind of go with day one. But for us here, it's day one is tomorrow. And what you'll be able to do is if you want to go to Facebook and like us today, then tomorrow you're going to be able to get a, DVD, I mean, a, a video devotional by over 40 pastors over the next 40 days uh, to watch those. So just encourage you to participate in that. And that way you can also go to our website and you can find access each day to those videos as well. And then the last component has to do with Extending compassion. There's a flyer in your program that talks about that, extending compassion. Um, What we believe around here is we believe that God gave us his word to reveal himself to us and also so that we would reveal him to the world. That we would go and reveal him to the world through acts of compassion. And so you're going to see several acts there, several ways that you can extend compassion as we go through this 40 days, because we don't want it to be just about information. We want it to be about transformation and helping people take that next step with him. So if you want to, when you come in every week, grab a Bible. They'll be on both sides of the uh, doors when you come in. And if you don't have a Bible, I just want to encourage you to take one. Just take one as our gift, because we would like everybody to have a Bible in their home so that you can open it up and you can have access to it. Yourself, that would be really cool. If you do have one, just go ahead and put it back so someone else can use it next week. Now, what I invite you to do is take these message notes out, and as you take them out, you're going to be able to follow along and take some notes today because I think you're going to find this to be a very stimulating and enlightening talk as we get to go through this today. And I just want to begin by asking this question: Can you trust the Bible? Can you trust the Bible? Well, there are a lot of people in our world who don't believe you can. And maybe some of you today don't believe that you can trust the Bible. And I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here. Twin Cities has always been a safe place for people to come when they're still exploring God and exploring the truth of His Word. And it's my hope and my desire that as we go forward, as you would hang with us, that there would be a point in your life where you would be able to take that step and you'd be able to say, I'll trust the Bible for my life and I'll do that as well. But it's a safe place for us to do that. Here's what I want to say first. I'm going to go really fast, so you need to listen really fast, okay? So that's the deal. Buckle your safety belts, okay? You're going to be able to hang in for this, uh, and what, we're going to have a lot of information today, and because I realize that, I'm just going to pause occasionally and ask if you're still with me. I'm going to say, are you still with me? And you're going to say, yeah, yeah great. That's what you're, that's to be your response when we get to that place. As we go through this today, what I want to do is I'm going to walk through some of the things we saw in that video there about why the Bible is so incredibly remarkable. You want to write these down, five things. First, it's unique in its circulation. It's unique in its circulation. It's the most published book in the entire world. Every year, it is the bestseller every year. It's unique in its translation. The Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book and is continually being translated into languages. The Bible is unique in its durability. It survived bans and burnings and criticisms and attacks. The Bible has outlasted even the most cruelest of opponents. One example, there was a philosopher in the 1700s named Voltaire. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a skeptic. He died in 1778. Right before his death, he said this. He said, in 100 years, Christianity and the Bible will be swept into history. And what we've learned from history is somewhere around 100 years after his death, the home that he owned was actually a depository for Bibles (laughs) as they were being distributed. So it survived all opponents. The Bible is unique in its composition. It's unique in its composition. It was written over 1,500, think about this, 1,500 year span, over 40 generations. It had... 40 authors who came from every walk of life and every perspective of life and every moment of life as they're writing the words that we now know as our Bible is written in totally different circumstances. It was written on three different continents, Asia and Africa and Europe. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. And it's just amazing when you read this book written over 1500 years, how unified it is in its message. From cover to cover, you'll find it has one message, and it's the revelation of God, revelation of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can know Him. And it's unified, and it's themed throughout. In any other book, or any other time, you would have something written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors. You would not find that level of confidence in there. And then the Bible is unique in its impact. No other book has had the level of impact that this book has had. For centuries, people have credited the Bible... The words on the pages of this book for transforming their lives, for revealing God to them as the God of the universe, for introducing them to Jesus Christ, and for healing them of themselves, their view of themselves, making them whole. The Bible is truly remarkable. Look at what it says about itself in Second Timothy 3. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. See, folks, I believe that you can trust this book. I believe that you can lay your life, you can stand your life, you can position yourself on the truths and the words of this book. You can really build your life there. And what I want to do is I want to give you three ideas, three reasons why the Bible is truth, and the, why the Bible is truthful, and why you can build your life on it. And I'm going to cover three areas today of the ways that we can understand the Bible as we have it is truthful in its form. Okay, the first one is this. I can trust the Bible because it is historically reliable. It is historically reliable. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord holds true, true, and we can trust everything he does. Now, stay on the first side, because you're going to want to write three words down, okay? Because history buffs tell us that there are three ways that you can know something is historically true. There are three ways that you can know if a document is true to history. Three ways. I'm going to give you the three ways. I'm going to talk about them as we go, so you can see the veracity of the Bible. The first is eyewitness accounts were there any eyewitnesses account? Were the people who wrote this, were they either eyewitnesses to an event, or did they have access to someone who was an eyewitness to the event? Or did, in their their time, did they hear the story of an event in a time when there were still people who knew about the event who could have either corroborated or they could have disputed the event? There's a key eyewitnesses are talking about an event in a time when people could have corroborated it or disputed it. And so if it's corroborated, then it's going to go forward as truth. If it's disputed, it's going to be held back as falsehood and lie. So I'm going to make a statement to help us understand that. Okay, here's a statement. Some of the greatest technological breakthroughs of the 1960s occurred when Bill Gates started a company called Apple which was named that because New York City was their corporate headquarters. What about that statement? Is that true or false? False. You know that because you live in this time. You know that because you are an eyewitness and understand that. I got the wrong date. It wasn't the 1960s. It was 1978. I got the wrong person. It wasn't Bill Gates. It was who? Steve Jobs. I've got the wrong headquarters. It wasn't New York City. It was in the Silicon Valley, Valley actually Cupertino to be exact, uh, where it was started. Folks, reliable history gets dates and places and people correct, gets it Right. And what we know about the Bible is it was talking mostly about first-hand accounts, not entirely, but first-hand accounts of people who actually were there or experienced what's being written about. The Bible makes hundreds of references that will go down and we can test it with history. Hundreds of references to people, places, events, cities, countries, rivers, money, all kinds of ways that we can see if it's accurate or not. So there's plenty of opportunity to test it, but also there's plenty of opportunity for it to make mistakes. But what we find is that there's incredible, remarkable agreement between the biblical account and the historical record. For example, the book of Acts, written by Luke. Luke was a physician. Got to know that if a physician is writing, they're going to be really into details. Mark was written by a young man, the, the apostle, you know, the gospel of Mark was written by a young man, and he was just flying through. He was just giving you impressions as he'd go in words, but Luke was specific, and he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, he makes reference to 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands, and historians can't find a single mistake, a single mistake. Years ago, William Ramsey, who was a skeptic and atheist, he went to the Holy Lands to do an archeological study to see if he could disprove the book of Acts, that Luke really wasn't accurate. And based upon his research and investigation, instead of disproving the Bible, he actually determined that the Bible was historically accurate after all. And this is what he said about Luke's gospel. Luke is a historian of the first rank. All distances are accurate. All city places are accurate. Even the shipping routes are accurate. The things he says about the cities, Roman rulers and governors, are historically accurate. In short, Luke should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. And then history tells us that Ramsey then, after he went to the the Middle East and after he did all of his research, he actually became a follower of Christ because of the veracity of the Bible. The truthfulness of what he discovered there. The Bible was written primarily by eyewitnesses. That's why it's so historically accurate. Another way to test, this would be your second word to write down there, would be manuscripts. You would test the truthfulness of a document by the manuscripts that are available for us to look at to see if it's been passed throughout history reliably. Some say this, they say, well, yeah, Brian, I might agree with you. The Bible might have been inspired by God, but it was transmitted by men transmitted by women and they may have had issues they may have had things that they wanted to dispute or they may have had agendas and so and they may have made mistakes because they're people and so how do we know that the bible that was written is actually the bible that we have today very good question very good question i want to give you some examples i'm going to start with the old testament and then we'll go to the new testament as well the old testament was completed in about 400 bc so it was kind of that's when it was ended, the writing of the Old Testament have it today was about 400 BC. So how do we know that the Old Testament that is in this book is close to the original documents, the original manuscripts? How do we know that people copied it correctly? How do we know that? Well, we can know that. We can be assured of it when we understand how manuscripts were copied in that day. They didn't have copy machines. They didn't have computers. They didn't have printers. Everything had to be done by hand. And because of that, those who had been Uh, The scribes, those who had been given the duty of copying the scripture so that it could be passed on from generation to generation, they developed this really, uh, uh, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, and uh, ways that they could check to make sure that it was accurate when they were finished. They had to have a certain amount of columns on every page, every column had to be the same width, and every column had to be the same length. If it wasn't, it went out. They also knew that in every book of the Bible, they knew how many uh, letters would be in that book uh, and of their alphabet. So they would then count, and they would say, okay, we know that there should be this many A's in this book, and so they would count, and if it came up to be not that many A's, they wouldn't go back and look for what was wrong, they'd just throw it away. They also, believe it or not, they knew what the middle letter would be, and so they would count in. And then they would count back, and if the middle letter was wrong, they would actually throw it away. Can you imagine if you're a scribe and that's your life's work? It just got thrown away. So you're going to be pretty particular, aren't you, to make sure that what you're writing is going to be passed on because you don't want your life work to be wasted in some way. Now, they they had these safeguards to make sure it was passed down. Now, for years, people used to say that the Bible was... Uh, historically questionable because the earliest manuscripts, just know for years, this is what people said, the earliest manuscripts were from 900 AD. So 900 AD were the, the latest manuscripts that we had of, of the Old Testament for years and years and years. So what people would do is say, well, how do we know that from 400 BC to 900 AD there weren't errors? How do we know that somewhere along the way someone didn't change it to fit their agenda or change it to fit what was going on in their lives. But guess what happened? In 1947, there was a discovery, a famous discovery in the Middle East. A shepherd boy was tending a sheep in a desert. He'd lost a sheep. He's looking for a sheep and he kind of sees this cave and he throws a rock into the cave. And instead of hearing a sheep go baa, baa, he heard a jar shatter. I think every little boy's had that experience, right? <laughs> a jar shattered as he threw his rock. Into there. And he went into the caves at a place. Here's a picture. It's called Qumran. I actually got to go here a couple of years ago and see the place. And it's just amazing if you ever get the opportunity to go to the Middle East on a Holy Land tour uh, because it will change your view of the Bible, it will give you so much. Uh, confidence that what we have is true, but also you'll get to see how the people lived and it'll make the Bible come to life in a new way. So this is Qumran and this is the cave, one of the caves and they actually found you know, several caves and then they found uh, several thousand scrolls. So what happened is he went into that uh, cave and he found several jars and one of the jars he opened up and it was full of scrolls and they found several thousands of these scrolls. They found so many that they, they found every book of the Old Testament except for some reason the book of Esther and so they then started pouring over these Dead Sea Scrolls. Here's a picture of one page of one scroll uh, and you can see that how it came out in some way that they could read it and they could study it. Okay now when they discovered these what they discovered is that these documents were written, got to get this, somewhere around 250 B.C., 250 B.C. So we now have documents, not 900 A.D. anymore, but we have documents now from 200 B.C. so we can test to make sure that somewhere, especially, this is where that, all that conspiracy stuff comes out, somewhere in the time of Jesus Christ, it didn't get changed to fit the person of Christ and who Christ was. So we have documents. We can prove that it was passed down accurately from 200 B- 250 BC to 900 AD. The reason we can do that is we can compare. So we can compare what we found then to what we have today, and what they discovered is there are a few errors, and but the errors have to do with the spelling of a name or the spelling of a place. Typical errors have to do with that, and it's just a really small percentage of differences that they found, and they didn't find any error that would lead to a dispute on the Christian doctrine or the Christian faith. So back to what I was saying just a minute ago. Skeptics often said concerning the prophecies of Jesus Christ that there was a conspiracy by his followers and that they went back and that they doctored up some of the Old Testament texts so that they matched who Jesus was and then they messed messed with the New Testament text of the day so that it would actually say the religion that they were trying to start. But what we discovered is, in 250 B.C., we discovered the book of Isaiah was part of this finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Isaiah. Now, in Isaiah, there's a particular chapter. It's chapter 53. Chapter 53 is prophecy of Jesus Christ. And in that prophecy of Jesus Christ, it says that the Messiah would be hung on a cross, that the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb. So for years, people had believed that that Isaiah 53 had been edited by his followers to fit what happened to Jesus. But what happened is these Dead Sea Scrolls, they found that they were evidence because they were put in this cave around 100 B.C., way before Jesus Christ, or written at 250 B.C., put in the cave at about 100 B.C. There's evidence that they could, no way that Isaiah could have been changed because of some conspiracy to make Jesus be more than he actually was. Eugene Ulrich, Notre Dame professor, And chief editor of the Dead Sea Texts of Oxford University said this: "The scrolls have shown that our traditional Bible has been amazingly well preserved for over 2,000 years. So the Bible passes the eyewitness test. The Bible passes the manuscript test. Now, as far as the Old Testament, now the New Testament." I wish I had time to do this, to go more into this. this. is so fascinating. The New Testament's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm serious. <laughs> oh, my. It's just so cool what this, you know, as they're trying to find the New Testament documents. Well, they started with documents about 300 A.D. And as they found these documents about 300 A.D., over time, they've now been able to find documents, and they have all kinds of names for these documents, down to now we have a document from about 125 A.D., the New Testament was finalized in about 100 AD. So we have about a 25-year 25, 25 gap between when the New Testament was written and the latest documents that we found, and they are accurate as they were written, as clearly as we can tell. They're accurate as they're written. Now, one more quote. Sir Frederick Kenyon says this. By the way, just just know, we have over, just in case you wondered about this, we have over 24,000 pieces of the New Testament fragments or complete writings of over 24,000, and they all agree. They're all in alignment with each other. Sir Frederick Kenyon says this. The last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they have been written has been removed. The Christian can take the whole Bible in his hand and say without fear or hesitation that he holds in it the true word of God, handed down without essential loss from generation to generation throughout the the centuries. Does that give you just, just goosebumps to think about the Bible being so reliable when it comes to eyewitnesses and manuscripts? But the third way you test documents to see if they're reliable is archaeology. So that'd be your third word on the first side. Archaeology. Archaeology. And what, you, what we realize is that we have case after case where there were unexplainable or disputed archaeological facts or incidents in the Bible that because we couldn't find them on earth and archaeologically prove them that became disputes for the veracity or the truthfulness in the Bible. I just want to give you a few, okay? Just a few. The first one is that the, the nation called the Hittites. How would you like to have that? The Hittites. That was the nation. And the Old Testament makes frequent reference to this nation called the Hittites. And for years, archaeologists said there's no evidence that the Hittites ever existed. So how can you believe in a book that's not accurate? And then in the 20th century, as the digs were going on in the Middle East, they uncovered the capital city of the Hittites and 40 of the cities in the Hittite Empire. Here's a picture. This is one of the entrances to one of the cities in the Hittite Empire. It was a, amazing. It was a huge empire. And then they discovered a scroll, and in the scroll was a, a document. That, uh, in the scroll, it talked about a treaty that was written between Ramses II and the Hittite nation. So they proved that the Hittites actually did exist. So once again, the truthfulness of the Bible came out. I'll show you another one. This is a picture of... Um, go to the next slide. This is a picture of Dan. And it's called a Tel Dan. I got to go there, got to see this. And so you go up to the top. This is a place of worship and and, uh, this site. And so the reason this is significant is that for years scholars said there's no way that the King David ever existed. We can't find any archeological evidence Can't find anything except for the Bible that says that there was ever a King David until one day they were excavating on this site and they'd run out of money. And because they'd run out of money, they had to stop and yet they wanted to preserve it. They didn't want vandals to come in and destroy or steal. So they were covering up the site with a bulldozer and with dirt. And as they were doing that, a woman saw a fragment, you know, just kind of a piece of a pottery sticking up and she stopped everything because there was inscription on it. And when they got this inscription out and they read it, it referenced none other than King David. Once again, archaeology proves that the Bible is truthfulness. Give me another one, Megiddo. Not only did scholars dispute that David, King David, existed, but they ex- uh, they said that Solomon, his son, didn't exist as well. I got to go to this site. It's amazing because this site overlooks the Valley of Armageddon where that's the, they say that's the where end of end of the world actually happens in this valley. And so as you look at that and so this is Megiddo and what happened is as they're excavating this they discovered that this was one of the places that King Solomon went to. They found evidence of that. But also one of the ways that scholars said that King Solomon never could have existed in all the wealth he had is because in the Bible it says that he had horses. And everyone knows in this region, they didn't ride horses, they only rode camels until they discovered this. And this side is a side of stables. And it went on and on and on that would actually literally house thousands of horses. Once again, archaeology shows that the Bible's true. Another one. Scholars said that because they could find no evidence that Pontius Pilate existed, that that made the New Testament questionable and you can't trust the New Testament. And then... They were doing some excavation, and this is at the sea, the uh, Caesarea by the sea, and it got, it's a beautiful place right by the Mediterranean Sea. I got to go there as well. I actually got to see this fragment as it's there, and they were excavating, and they had this huge uh, arena, a huge stadium that had been built there. They've recreated it so you can see it today as it probably was in the days that it was actually built, and on this. St- On this slab, it made a reference to the benefactor, the one who had donated the money to build the stadium, and it was none other than Pontius Pilate. And not only was it Pontius Pilate listed, but it listed his name and his rank in the kingdom and who he was, and it's exactly what the Bible says. Exactly what the Bible says. Now, look at this quote from Nelson Gluck, talking about archaeology. It can be stated categorically, That no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. A biblical reference. So, if you're gonna be honest in your assessment of the Bible, you need to realize that history shows the Bible to be accurate as we have it today. Are you still with me? Awesome, awesome. Okay. Second, I can trust the Bible because it is scientifically reliable. Scientifically reliable. Many people believe that the Bible misses the mark completely when it comes to science. And I just want to say this right up front so we understand it. The Bible is not a science book. The Bible is not a science book. The Bible is a record of God's work in and through his people. And the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's a revelation of who God is written by people. So as people wrote, they would write from their perspective. They would write from what they knew to be true in the day in which they wrote. So what I want to talk about a little bit is is kind of this whole idea of does science disprove the Bible? And I want to begin with this quote. It's by Johannes Kepler. Famous mathematician and astronomer, he said this. Science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. <laughs> God established the law of physics, we discovered the law of physics. God established the law of biology, we discovered the law of biology. God, God you know, made the law of mathematics, we discovered the law of mathematics. God made the law of gravity, we discovered the law of gravity. Folks, I'll just say it this way. Truth never changes. but would you agree with me that science changes? Why don't you think about this? The science book you had in the sixth grade, (laughs) would it be true today? No. So many discoveries have changed the truth that we knew in the sixth grade so that we no longer believe those truths to be true today. If you're reading the Bible a thousand years ago, if you're writing the Bible back when it was in the beginning and writing through. But if you're reading the Bible a thousand years ago, what the Bible said would have not matched up with what science said is true. What the Bible said would not have matched up with what the prevailing view and prevailing truth of science was in that day. Not because the Bible was in error, but because science just wasn't up to date yet. Just wasn't up to date yet. I think the proof of the Bible being reliable comes down to not what the Bible says about science, but what does the Bible not say about science. Not say. Now, here's where you have to work with me a little bit. If I'm writing, and I'm writing down the, the story of God, I'm going to make references so that people in my day can understand. I'm not going to be thinking about what are people going to be thinking 2,000 years from now. I'm going to be making references so that people in my day can understand what's going on. So if I'm writing, especially in this area of science, I'm going to make references to the current view and the current truth of science. I'm going to give you some examples. Thousands of years, for thousands of years, people believed that the earth was flat. Great. It wasn't until Copernicus, Galileo, and Columbus that people realized that the earth was not flat. So... You would have expected, because the current view that the earth was flat, that when the Bible was being written, when that was the view, that they would have made references somewhere along the way to the earth being flat. Then there's never a reference of the Bible being flat. Instead, you're going to write this down. Instead, Isaiah 40, says this, that the earth was a sphere or a circle. So the Bible says right there that the earth was a sphere or a circle, refuted that the earth was flat. Another example. Thousands of years, science believed, or people believed, that the earth had to be held up by something. So it had to be, you know, it, wasn't just, it couldn't just float out in the, in the air or wherever it was. It had to actually be held up by something, and if it wasn't held up, it would fall. And so the Greeks, they came up with this idea that the, the earth was held up by a god, and they named their god Atlas. And so here's their depiction of Atlas. And so Atlas is holding up the earth. And are, uh, all other you know, peoples came up with their own views of who, what was holding up the world. Here's another view I saw uh, when I got to go to New York City a couple summers ago. Uh, this is uh, the picture of Atlas in front of the Rockefeller building in New York City. Uh, just the way that it's being depicted as Atlas holding up the world. Now, other cultures had views of how the world was held up as well. The five books that Moses wrote should have reflected, if you think about this, the current science. you got to know, he grew up in the house of the Pharaoh. He had the best of education. He would have had all of the current scientific models given to him of that day. In his day, the view of how the world was held up is that it was held up by five pillars. It was five pillars. And so it was held up by these five pillars. And, but when you read the first five books of the Old Testament, you find no reference to the world being held up by pillars. In fact, what you find when you read the Bible, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. I know the Bible's not chronological. The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, and this is what it says in Job 26, 7. It says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space, and listen to this, and hangs the earth on nothing. Nothing. It's what the Bible says about how the earth is held in place. Let me give you another example. For thousands of years... For years, not thousands of years, for years, it was determined that there was about a thousand stars in our sky, about a thousand stars. In fact, Hipparchus was the first one, and this is around the turn of the from BC to AD, somewhere around in that in that time. Hipparchus actually counted the stars, and he came out and said, "There's a thousand and twenty-two stars." <laughs> How did he do that? I have no idea. But he said, "There's a thousand and twenty-two stars." Then Ptolemy came along about 300 years later. And he said, Hipparchus is not right. There are actually 1,026 stars. <laughs> Current scientific view. At the most, there would be 3,000 years, Ptolemy said. At the most. Today, the common view is that the stars are, norm, are more numerous than the grains of the sand on the earth. But no one knew that in the Bible times when it was written. But here's what the Bible says in Jeremiah 23, 22. No one knew how many stars there were. Current view... We don't know, but there's not very many. Current view. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah 33:22 says that the number of stars is infinite. Infinite, beyond description. I don't have time to give you more examples. I wish I could. Uh, I just have a whole slew of them I had to cut out, uh, especially in the uh, archaeological area. And, uh, but there's all kinds of examples of how we can trust the claims of the Bible. That's why Proverbs 35 says so much. It says this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Are you still with me? Okay, third, the Bible is personally reliable. Personally reliable. And this is what we're just giving you kind of the uh, introduction to next week, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about us. And what the Bible has to say about transformation and how we're actually changed and that the Bible is so reliable. As Kim said a while ago, she comes to the Bible and she's you know, struggling in some area of her life. And God cuts through the fog like a light through the mist, as Kim said. And in that, at that moment, his, the book speaks to us. And it's just a verse, maybe. And that verse you maybe have read a hundred times or maybe a thousand times, but at that moment, that was the verse as we talked about last week. It was a bump that came out at you and God spoke to you in some way. I believe, and this is, this is just personal, I believe the Bible to be true because of what it says about me. It talks about greed. It talks about selfishness. It talks about lack of compassion talks about dishonesty it talks about the struggles that many of us face in life the bible as paul wrote shows us every wrong and i believe the bible to be true in what it says about me there's no other book no other book you can read that cuts below the surface of your persona like the bible does it penetrates it shows my wants my weaknesses my pride Shows all of the things that I try to hide that I don't want anyone to see. But when I open up the pages of the book, the, the pages of that book, I see that the Bible is personally reliable to my life. Look at what Jesus says in John 8. I would if I could find it. i just read it from the screen. Oh, there it is. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So as I know the truth about the Bible, I know I can build my life on it, but now as I know the truth about what the Bible says about me and then when I respond to that, what, the, what Jesus is saying here is that I can be free. So not to respond to the Bible would mean that I'm going to stay in what? Captivity. Captivity. In prison. Be locked into that hiding behind that persona all of my life instead of the freedom that God can give me when He penetrates that and He shows me who I really am. Folks, this book can introduce us to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. This book encourages, encourages us when we've been hurting. It corrects us when we've been outside of God's will. It teaches us how to be better husbands, wives, employees, employers, fathers, mothers, kids it teaches how to be better it teaches us how to reconi- uh, reconcile bruised and fractured relationships it gives us perspective in our past it gives us wisdom for our present and it gives us hope for the future and this book points forward to my eternal destiny to be with god forever and that's what i just want to ask will you let this book speak to you what are you going to do with this book I'm telling you, it takes faith to believe the Bible. But it doesn't take blind faith. You can see the Bible's been disputed. But then, as God has allowed discoveries to happen, we can understand the truthfulness of this word. And I just want to say, you can build your life on this book. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, I thank you so much that you are so wiser than me. I thank you that you gave us this word. You gave us your word. That when I read the Bible, it's not words written by men, but it was inspired by you. It's you. It's you I get to meet when I open the pages of this book. You want to speak to me. You want to guide me. And God, I pray today for all of us in this room that we would, wherever we are in our Uh, understanding of truthfulness today that we would just take a step further. Just take a step to say, okay, some of you are saying, you know what, Ron, I'll come back. I'll, I'll come back and I'll try to understand the Bible. And others of us would say, you know, Ron, I know what the Bible has said to me, but I've not done it. I need to act on what I know. And others of us, God's shown us his truth and we need to be ready to share that truth with others in love so that others can see the God that we know and we love. And Jesus, I thank you so much for you and your presence with us. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.